decree that all the two-year-old and younger children in Bethlehem be killed, be slaughtered. And so um, he, uh, he and his family were told to escape down into Egypt. And so that's what happened. Jesus escaped down into Egypt with his family, took his first steps in Egyptian soil, in Egyptian sand. And um, as such, Jesus was living in a foreign uh, nation or a foreign country. Jesus was an immigrant. Today, uh, we want to talk about this subject of immigration in our, in our series, Politics and the Bible. And uh, thus far, we've talked about uh, the need to appoint originalist Supreme Court justices. And we talked about how that connects to our proper interpretation of Scripture, how we should handle documents um, in their original context, what the author originally intended. Uh, we talked last week about the involvement of Christians in government, whether it be local government, state, or federal government, that God didn't just ask Christians to step out and create a vacuum for secular-minded people to move into, but rather that God wants for Christian people, believers, to be involved in and have an influence on their government. So today we turn our attention to this subject of immigration. Um, our text comes from Leviticus chapter 19, verses 33 through 34, Leviticus chapter 19, verses 33 through 34. I'm going to ask if you would to stand to your feet for the reading of God's word. And I'm also going to ask of you, uh, a, I don't know if it's a favor or just, uh, let me just say it. Um, I'm going to ask that whatever the scriptures conclude on this matter, that that's what you conclude with. That whatever the scriptures teach, and the scriptures are very clear on this issue of immigration, that friends, this is where truth comes from. We don't get to debate. We don't get to, to, to have an argument with God or whether or not we think he was right or whether or not we think he was wrong. That what Scripture dictates, friends, that that's what, it doesn't matter what President Trump said. It doesn't matter what Hillary Clinton said. It doesn't matter what Nancy Pelosi thinks. What matters is what God thinks, right? And it's right here. And so we're going to read from that today. Let's read Leviticus chapter 19. So y'all okay with that? Can we do that? That whatever the Bible says, we as believers are going to stand on that? Is that agreement or in agreement? Okay. All right, let's read together Leviticus chapter 19, beginning at verse 33. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were once strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Now again, if the scripture is our guide and the scripture speaks here on this subject of immigration, it speaks about the stranger in our land. This is somebody who's from a foreign land. There's different translations, uses different terms. Some use alien, some use foreigner, some use stranger, some use sojourner. And uh, here it uses the term sojourner. And the scriptures say, hey, look, here's how you're supposed to treat somebody who's a sojourner, who's an immigrant in your land. It says, verse 33, that you're not supposed to do that person any wrong. Look at verse 34. It says that the stranger, the native from another land that's here with you, you shall love him as you yourself or want strangers in the land. So God gives the extra impetus for the Hebrew people to, to do this, to treat strangers like this, based on the fact that they themselves didn't always live in their own home, homeland. They didn't always live in Israel. They were at one point strangers in Egypt, right? They were immigrants themselves, and they remember what that was like living in a foreign land. Another passage of scripture that comes to us that teaches on this subject comes from Exodus chapter 22, in verse 21, and it says these words, You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners yourselves in the land of Egypt. So again, God's playing on the fact that, hey, look, y'all remember what it was like 
to live in a land that's not your own. You didn't know the language. You didn't know the customs. It was all new to you. You were kind of a fish out of water. You know what that's like. And because of that, show kindness, show help to those that are in your land from other lands. Um, now, because I like to be thorough, I like to be thorough. I don't know if y'all knew that or not. Let's do a little bit of, uh, let's use some of our exegetical tools to make sure that we have the right conclusion that's coming out of this text, okay? Um, and one of the exegetical tools that we have at our disposal, one of the interpretive tools, is studying original languages, okay? So let's, uh, let's use some of what we know here from the Hebrew language. There's two Hebrew words that translate into the English word that's used here as sojourner. In other cases, it uses the word foreigner. Again, there's different words depending on your translation as to what word they're going to use. And those two Hebrew words, one is the word ger and the other is the word novar. And there's a difference between these two Hebrew words. In the, in the word ger, uh, what we mean there is somebody who's a foreigner that has come to your land and has permission to be in that land, that they're an invited guest. They've come in, they've asked permission to be there, and the local authorities, the local rulers have said, yes, it's fine for you to go ahead and plant down, uh, build a house, and live here in the midst of us. And that's a specific Hebrew word, ger, that refers to this kind of an immigrant or to this kind of a foreigner. There's also this other Hebrew term called novar, and it's used specifically for a foreigner who comes into your native land who is just there to stay for a little while. They're on vacation. They're checking out the local sites. They've got their passport, but they're getting ready to head right back out of town. They're just traveling through. So two distinct Hebrew words. And there's a passage in this text, in the scriptures, that show these two interplay of these two um, Hebrew words. Flip over to Deuteronomy chapter 14 and verse 21. Deuteronomy chapter 14 and verse 21. We're going to be reading from the NIV 2012 edition. I'll talk about that here in a little bit. It says, do not eat anything that you find already dead. So this is one of God's decrees, one of God's laws to the Jewish people about what they're supposed to eat, what they're not supposed to eat. God says, don't eat the stuff that's already died. You may give it, though, as a gift, he says, no payment, no money exchanging hand. You can give it, he says, as it to the foreigner residing in any of your towns, and they may eat of it. Or if you want to make a little bit of money off of this, you may sell it to any other foreigner. Now notice that one of the foreigners is living or is residing in amongst the Israelite people. This other foreigner, though, whom they can sell it to, is not living and residing amongst them. Now, the two Hebrew terms that are used there is the word ger in the first place, in the first uh, occasion, and the second occasion is the word novar. The first occasion of the, Hebrew, of, the, of the person who's a traveler that's coming in that's residing amongst you is the word ger. And to this person, they're supposed to show kindness. To this person, they're just supposed to give this meat to them. The Hebrews aren't supposed to eat it, but this other person, they're welcome to have it, and they can have it as a gift. But if there's a foreigner that's come that's just traveling through, right? They're just a vacationer. They're just, they're just passing through. Well, to that person, you, you can, if you want to, sell that meat to them, and you can make a little bit of money off of it. And so there's a distinction there that doesn't present itself to us in our English translation, but that is there in the Hebrew translation. Um, interestingly, this Hebrew word ger is used in describing Moses himself. Look at Exodus chapter 2 and verse 21. Uh, this is the story of Moses after he's uh, murdered a, an Egyptian and so he's escaped out into the uh, territory of the Sinai, uh, northwestern Sinai. And so he's out there living amongst the Midianites, or, or wandering rather, on his, trying to figure out what he's going to do. And it says, Exodus chapter 2 and verse 21, And Moses was content to dwell with a man, uh, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. 
Um, well, what's happened is Moses uh, came to this well where uh, Zipporah and her other sisters were being bullied by some rival shepherds, and Moses, uh, Charlton Heston, drove all of them off, right? He sent them away, and so they invite, key word, they invite Moses back to their home, and they're there with, with uh, Moses at their home, and so the father of Zipporah says, hey, look, you can have one of my daughters as your wife, and so Moses chooses the oldest of the daughters. He chooses Zipporah. But remember, Moses is from Egypt. He's living amongst the Midianites in their land. And he's there as an invited guest. He doesn't just come in and plop down. He comes in as a gare. And he even names his son. Look at this, Exodus chapter 2 and verse 22. She gave birth to a son, Moses' wife, and he called his name, there's the word, gare, Sham. Moses goes on to explain why I named my son Gershom. He says, I named him Gershom, Gershom because um, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Moses names his son Sojourner. He names his son someone who's come into a land, who's been invited, given permission by the locals to go and live and reside amongst them. He names his very son that, that name Sojourner. Let me give you another example of this. Genesis chapter 47 and verse 4. They said to Pharaoh, We have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now, what's happening right here? Well, Joseph is the prime minister of Egypt, and his brothers have come to Egypt to try and get some food. They don't know that Joseph is their brother because he's all dressed up and, you know, he's the prime minister. They would never have figured that their long-lost brother that they had sold into slavery would have risen to such ranks. But nevertheless, it's their, older, their youngest brother standing there in front of them. And they're there to get food because there's a famine in the land of Canaan and in all that region. But Egypt, knowing that this was coming, had put away a lot of food stores. And so Joseph um, says, his brothers come, and he says, hey, look, uh, you know, they, work, they work things out between, their, between Joseph and his brothers. And he says, look, y'all ought to come and live here in Egypt. You have nothing to go back to in Canaan. You have nothing to go back to in the land of Israel. Uh, there's nothing there but a famine waiting for you. So why don't you come here where we have food stores and you and our father can come and live amongst us. Now, before they go and they plop down in the midst of all the Israelites, uh, they go um, uh, in the midst of all the Egyptians, they go and present themselves to Pharaoh and they ask Pharaoh, get this, end of verse 4, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen, that is in northern Egypt. Now, again, their brother is Joseph. He's the prime minister. You think Joseph could be like, we don't need to ask Pharaoh, right? I mean, I'm the prime minister, right? I mean, you just go, go ahead, wherever you want. I would take the best land. It'd be fine. Y'all can stay there. But no, they go to Pharaoh and they ask Pharaoh. They ask him for permission to be in his land of which Pharaoh is sovereign. So Pharaoh has control over everything in the land of Egypt. And so they go to him and ask permission because they understand the concept of sojourning. It is a biblical concept. Again, the Hebrew language recognizes a difference between a foreigner who asks permission to come and stay and a foreigner who is just passing through like a vacationer of sorts. There's a whole book that is dedicated to these two Hebrew words. It's written by a guy by the name of Dr. Hoffmeyer, James Hoffmeyer. He's professor of Old Testament and Near Eastern Archaeology at Trinity Evangelical Seminary. And I would have been a student there at Trinity Evangelical Seminary. He probably would have been one of my professors. If, when I got out of the car on October 31st of 1996 to look at the school, it had not been snowing. 
I decided it's too cold. It's up in Chicago. I don't have none of that. So I drove back to Kentucky. All right, let's go back to those verses that we looked at at the beginning. Exodus chapter 22 and verse 21 says, You shall not wrong a sojourner, a gare, someone who has asked permission to come and live here in the midst of you or oppress them, for you yourselves were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Now, what did we just learn? We learned that sojourning means that you have asked permission, that you are an invited guest of your host country, just like Moses was in Midian, just like Joseph's brothers were in Egypt. And that person, the Bible says, do not oppress them. Do not treat them wrongly. Do not take advantage of them because they're not schooled in the local language. Do not take advantage of them because they don't know the local customs. They're new to town. Help them out. Give them some of the food that you all can't eat, that I've declared that you can't eat, but is still good for eating. Um, Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 33, we read that at the beginning. It says, when a stranger sojourns with you, a ger, there's the Hebrew term, when a ger comes in the midst of you, uh, you shall not do him wrong, and you shall treat the ger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you yourselves were once strangers. You were once gares yourself, living in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. Again, regarding the person who is in your land by permission as an invited guest, there is a distinction made in the biblical language. Treat that person respectfully. Treat that person with honor. Help them. Now, I want to pause here for a moment and point out that there's an underlying principle here that the scripture recognizes that the rest of the world recognizes as well. This is not this is not rocket science here. Um, and that principle is that nations have the right to control who comes in and who doesn't come in to their country. Isn't that what the scripture is recognizing here with these terms ger and novar? It's saying, hey, look, there's a distinction between, of persons. There's a person that comes in and just moves in and plops down and no, they didn't ask anybody whether or not they could be there. But then there's the person who comes in through rightful processes and says, and, and there's an entitlement for them to be there because they've been given permission by the local government to be in that, uh, in that space. Moses didn't just pitch his tent in amongst the poor's family. There was a propriety to things, and he waited until he was invited. Joseph's brothers didn't just plop down in Egypt, even though they could have, but they didn't uh, because they went to Pharaoh and asked for permission because the Bible recognizes that nations have the right even the responsibility to control who comes in, how long they're there, why they're there, and when perhaps they may be leaving. Okay, got one more final thing that I want to show you before we get to our most important question, and that is, flip back to Deuteronomy chapter 14 and verse 21. I want to show you a little, little sneaky stuff that goes on amongst Bible translators. Um, look at, we're, we're looking, we read from Deuteronomy 14. I, I don't know if y'all realize this or not. I've got this it doesn't look as, my Bible got a little bigger than the old one that I used. I don't know if y'all remember that little tiny thing. I used to have the prints no better. But anyhow, this is an ESV translation of the Bible. And I've been for many months now working out the ESV translation because the NIV translation that we have on our new software back there only pulls up the 2012 edition of the NIV Bible. And so that particular version of the Bible has got some stuff of tweaking that's been done by the Bible translators. And I no longer want to use that. Uh, the 1984 NIV translation is good. 2012, it's, it's not. Um, and so I've moved to the ESV. I'm still flat, uh, flirting back and forth between that and possibly using the CSV version, but you can talk to me after church about that. Anyhow, um, so look, we, we, we read from Deuteronomy chapter 14 and verse 21 a few moments ago. 
And we read the NIV 2012 edition of the NIV Bible, which reads, um, do not eat anything that you, are, that you find already dead. You may give it to the foreigner or you may sell it to a foreigner. Notice the same word. Foreigners used in both locations, but that's not the same word that's in the Greek. In one place in the Greek, it uses the word ger, but in the second location, it uses the word novar. Novar is that person that's just supposed to be tra- passing through. Do you see what's happening here in the 2012 edition of the NIV? Let's go back to the 1984. Do we have that? Then the 1984 translation of the NIV Bible, and we'll see that them getting, them getting it correctly. They say, do not eat anything that you find already dead. You may give it to an alien in any of your towns, recognizing the Hebrew term ger, or he may eat it, or you may sell it to a who? Somebody different, a distinctive type of a person. You say, how come the 2012 edition of the NIV Bible did this and just tried to uh, use the same word in both locations, even though in the Greek it's not, there's a distinction? Well, friends, it's because they didn't want anybody to figure out what the Bible's really saying. They didn't want anybody to figure out. They had predetermined conclusions when they came to the Scriptures with regard to immigration. And because of that, they wanted to make sure that the Bible guided people toward those predetermined conclusions. Sneaky, right? Sneaky. And so that's what's going on in the world of Bible translation these days. You've got people who have predetermined biases toward whatever the issue is, and they'll tweak the text just enough to try and redirect its readers toward their predetermined outcomes. Okay, well, that's our treatment of this text for today. And so that means it's time for us to ask our most important question. And I want to do this a little bit different today. I want to ask two questions. One question is, what difference does this make to me, right? And the second question is, what difference does this make to our country? What difference does this make to the United States? Um, So let's start with the first of those questions. What difference does this make to our country? Well, I think the implications are very clear. The United States, like any nation, has the right and the responsibility to control who comes into its country and who does not. Any traveler experiences ports of entry. I mean, if you're going to some place that's not your native land, you're going to go through a port of entry, and there's going to be custom officers there, and they're going to meet you, and they're going to ask you questions, and they're going to ask you, why are you here? Uh, Have you been sick lately? How long are you staying? Where are you going to be staying while you're there? I mean, that's part of what happens when you fly into an airport or when you fly or when you land at a port of entry. Uh, There's customs officers that are there with little dogs, right, walking around. They're sniffing everything, trying to find contraband, trying to find what people might be sneaking in. Maybe somebody's bringing something in that could be a threat to the local population. And so that's what those customs officers are there for. It's a very different situation, though, on our southern border of the United States. Folks are streaming across. No one knows who they are. They're undocumented. Are they going to stay for a while? Why are they here? What's their purpose in being here? Uh, Are they carrying diseases? Are they intending to do some harm to the citizens of this country? Worse yet, are they gang members? Are they terrorists? Because some of them may be. So basically, our southern border represents a giant hole, a giant back door, if you would, into the sovereignty of the United States of America. And uh, this is not just a problem in the United States, friends. This is a problem globally. There are mass migrations of people from certain continents into other continents. For example, uh, there are people that have moved from northern Iraq, Libya, those sorts of territories, and the governments have been falling apart. And the people are leaving because they're desperate, and they're coming into Morocco, and then they're going across the Moroccan Straits, just a short little piece of of water, across the Mediterranean Sea, and up into southern Spain, and making their way into, uh, into Europe. 
Same thing's happening across the Aegean Sea, and that's been going on for many years. While war has raged in Syria, and there's been this civil war going on, people have escaped out of Syria into Turkey, and you have these mass migrations of populations of people who are desperate, who are trying to escape uh, literally the threat of their lives. And so they've moved across Turkey up into Europe. They've moved across Turkey and are hopping across the Aegean Sea into Greece, and they're making their way up into, um, into uh, Europe. What should these nations do? Well, speaking from the perspective of the Bible, to which we all agreed. Okay? That from the perspective of the Bible, those nations have the right to close down their borders, to refuse admission to whomever they choose to refuse submission. It is their right and it is their responsibility. You say, well, how should that happen in the United States? What should that look like? Are you talking about building a wall? Well, building a wall is perhaps one solution to the problem. You know, the Bible is not against building walls. Um, David prays, asking God for help in building a wall around Jerusalem. He writes, Psalm chapter 51 and verse 18, Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. And when the wall is gone, after Babylonians lay siege to Jerusalem, and they've destroyed the wall, a little bit later in Scripture, the Israelites react to that with great feelings of shame and desperation. They say in Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 3, the remnant, this is how we're feeling, who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. Why? Because the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. They understood that the wall around Jerusalem represented protection. It was a way to control who would come in and out of the capital city and, in a sense, in and out of their, their borders. Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 28 compares the vulnerability of a city that has no walls to that of a person with no self-control. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. The point is, walls do work the Bible acknowledges that walls do work. The Bible is not opposed to walls. Furthermore, politicians weren't in opposition to walls themselves until recent years. Uh, in 2006, Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton both voted in favor of building a wall. Did you know that? They both did. But then, you know, Democrats decided we need to be distinctive from Republicans. And then they began this whole political conversation. I mean, when when President Trump rode down the escalator and then made this talk about we're going to build a wall. All of a sudden it became, that's a Republican thing. And the Democrats abandoned that and decided that they didn't want to have anything to do with a wall. And because they wanted to be distinctive, they want to be different. So it's become a politicized issue. But friends, from a biblical perspective, the Bible views the wall around Jerusalem as a positive uh, presence. There was total consensus in our government up until recent years with regard to the wall. Um, how is, how, how is it possible? Okay, okay, so having said all that, how, how is it to be accomplished that our government should control borders? I mean, how, how is that to be accomplished? Again, that's up to each individual nation. Uh, whether it's putting security forces in place to make sure that people don't get across who aren't supposed to get across, to make, put walls, build walls, whatever, that's up to each sovereign nation to decide, Right? I mean, the, the leaders of our nation will determine whether or not a wall gets built in the United States. Israel decided they want to build a wall, and there hadn't been any terrorism like there used to be in between Palestine and Israel since they did that. Um, and so each individual nation, taking in account 
surveying the situation that's going on on the ground, has to make that determination of what's the best way for us to protect our sovereignty as a country. Because that's, again, their right and it's their responsibility. All that said, what about the cry of humanity that's coming out of Honduras? I have two buddies of mine that I, uh, I went to school with, and they were both missionary kids from Honduras. And I've, I haven't kept in, kept in touch with them lately, but through the years we've been in touch. And, uh, I mean, Honduras is just a vacuum for crime, right? And a lot of the people that are coming up here in the caravan that you've heard about on the news over the past weeks, that started, it originated in Honduras. It was people trying to flee their government, flee uh, persecution, flee uh, just, just a collapse of the local government in their areas. So what do we do uh, about that as Christians? I mean, do you turn those people away? Um, that's a really great question. And the central question in all of this really is about the human suffering. And, and, and whether somebody says, I'm for a wall or I'm against a wall, behind all of that, though, is this concern for you know, the people that are trying to escape persecution in Syria, that are making their way across to Greece, that are going up into Europe. Um, you have this, these mass migrations of people who are desperate. So what are we supposed to do about that? Well, again, the Bible is replete with verse after verse about caring for people in need. Jesus tells the story of the, of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. And he tells in that story that everyone is our neighbor. That it doesn't matter whether I'm, I'm not supposed to just take care of people in the United States, but rather my compassion extends across borders. My compassion extends to the Samaritan. My compassion extends to the Syrian. My compassion extends to all of humanity. That's what Jesus is saying here in these verses, Luke chapter 10 and verse 30, 36. It says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the Pharisee responded, well, I mean, it was the person that showed the man mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Well, friends, when you take Jesus' teaching about who is my neighbor, and Jesus is saying everybody's your neighbor, and you couple that with Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 35, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. Verse 40. And as you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. Um, you couple those two together. Jesus is saying, hey, look, your neighbor is, is all of humanity. And so we are to recognize not just the cries of, for help within our country, but also the cries for help that extend beyond national Israel. One of the credibility gaps that Christians have with the secular world is when Christians say, well, that's their problem. That's one of the credibility problems that Christians have. Because the secular world looks at that and says, well, you're Christians. I thought Jesus taught, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I thought Jesus taught. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. Jesus taught you. I was a stranger and you gave and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. Do to the, as you do to the least of these, you do it to me. I mean, do you not even hear your own Savior teaching you? And so a secular watching world hears that and says to the person who says, well, that's their problem. Well, of course I don't want to follow your Savior because apparently he doesn't make that much of an impact in your life. So what's the solution here? Well, I got five things for you. Five things. We'll roll quick here. First is to secure our borders, period. I mean, this is something that was agreed upon by Democrats and Republicans prior to the most recent years when this became some big political issue. It's not a big political issue. It shouldn't be a political issue. We're a sovereign nation. That means we, secure, we have borders, and we need to secure our borders, period. How our government decides to do that, that's up to our government. You go vote 
uh, on, in November and, uh, and let them know what you think about it. Second, honor the immigrants that are here legally, the gares among us, from the Hebrew term, those that are here by permission, those that have asked our federal government to be here. They've got papers, they're documented, and the Bible says of those people, because see, here's what happens by liberals. They'll take Leviticus chapter 19, verses 33 and 34, and they'll throw that in your face, and they don't know the Hebrew language, right? They hadn't done their word study. They don't know that there's a difference going on in there about who the Bible's talking about here. They want to just lump everybody together. But the Bible says those who are here by permission, that are here, that they've observed our law, that, the, that we are as Christians to show them help, to give to them aid and need, to not oppress them, to not take advantage of them. There's a biblical mandate for us to do that. Third, we need to show compassion for the destitute and the hungry that are living amongst us. For people who have come to this country fleeing persecution. Um, there has been a long history in our country of taking people from other countries who, like from Syria, were trying to escape uh, torture and trying to escape uh, death and all the other terrible things that are going on in their countries. There's a long history in America of doing that. When I was, uh, this has been 15 years ago, I went with a missions trip down to Bayou Labatre, Alabama. Anybody ever been to Bayou Labatre, Alabama? Probably not. Just south of Mobile, right on the little bit of Alabama coast that they've got down there. And in Bayou Labatre is a bunch of shrimping villages. And during the 70s, 60s, when the Vietnam War was going on, Vietnamese people who were in persecution in North Vietnam were relocated to Bayou Labatre, Alabama by the tens of thousands. And there's still a large Vietnamese population community that lives in that area. Um, and so our, our country has a long history of doing this, of taking people who we consider refugees, people who are under intense persecution in their native land, and were resettled here in the United States so that they could live outside of that fear of their lives. Again, we need to have compassion for such people. But those refugees must be identified by our government as people fleeing persecutions, not people seeking the American dream. And there's a difference. Um, if you're seeking the American dream, there's a process for you to hear, for you to come to our country. There's laws that you have to follow. There's a process for you to be here legally, for you to become a gare, right, that the Bible recognizes. Um, simply wanting to obtain the American dream and thinking that you can walk across the borders of, the, of a sovereign nation and plop down in that nation, friends, that is not a biblical concept. What that means is, fourth, is that undocumented immigrants, novars, people who are just supposed to be passing through, undocumented immigrants must respect the laws of this country and return home. They are breaking our laws. If people don't like those laws, then those laws need to be changed. They can be changed. Again, you've got an opportunity in November to go vote. Send your congressmen, send your senators a message that you want those laws changed. But those are the laws that are on the books, friends, and we need to submit to them. Romans chapter 13 and verse 1 says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Let me read that again. Let every person be subject to the government authorities. We are a republic. That is that we are a nation of laws. We are governed by laws, not by the will of the majority, not by the will of the minority, although in some cases you might say that. But we are a republic. That is, we are a nation of laws. And because of that, friends, the scriptures are telling us here that we are to submit to the laws of our country and to the governing authorities of our country. It goes on to say, For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted of God. That is that God put in place Donald Trump, 
just like God put in place Barack Obama. You understand me? You understand what the scriptures are saying here? That God put those people in place in order to accomplish his will for our nation. And I think history will tell what exactly God's design and desire was for our nation in the aftermath of all of this. But, God, but the scriptures clearly teach that those individuals have been placed in their positions. They've been instituted by God in order to accomplish his purposes in the world. Fifth and finally, before I tell you what the fifth one is, let me just ask a question here. Everybody, oh, you're probably not okay. I don't know. Like a stressful Sunday, right? Is there a way to do both? Is there a way to show compassion of Luke chapter 10? To recognize who our neighbors are, to see those who are thirsty and drink, give them drink, to give those who are hungry that are coming here, the masses of humanity. Is there a way to do both and to, to, to follow the rules of our nation and respect the rules of our nation? Yes, there is. And here's the way that we can do that. We can become a sending church. A sending church. That is sending missionaries to these countries that are broken and that desperately need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, for some reason, that seems to escape the evangelical church today. Uh, we're sending so few less missionaries. There are more missionaries coming out of, North, out of South Korea today than are coming out of the United States of America into the world. To understand that these other nations are broken and that they need the good news of the gospel to come in and help restore the way human beings relate to one another, to bring the forgiveness that Jesus Christ offers friends, to become a sending church, to go to those nations and help repair and help be a part of putting back together what is so dynamically broken. And you may know friends, you may know people that are doing exactly that in foreign nations, friends. That's a, that's a solution that both shows compassion to those across borders, but that also respects the sovereignty, the laws of our own nation. You know, we can debate everything I've said here this morning, we could sit around lunch and just have at it, right? We could fire back and forth. We could say, but Nancy Pelosi said, right? But Mitch McConnell said, you know, and just fire off all the arguments that are made. But it comes down to what's our authoritative truth source as believers. And this, this should prescribe for us what our opinion should be. Not what we read on Facebook. Not what some really well-thought-out argument was, but what God's Word says. Let's pray together. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for talking to us today from your Word. We thank you for bringing clarity around an issue which is right at the forefront of the citizens of this country. Lord, we ask that you would help us to submit to the clear teaching of Scripture. And Lord, that you would show us a vision for what you want us to accomplish or what you want to accomplish through our lives. God, we uh, just commit this time to you. We pray for your Holy Spirit to speak into each of our hearts, that you would give us direction, give us wisdom as to how to take this information and go forward from here. We thank you for your broken body. We thank you for your shed blood, which makes all things possible. And we pray these things in Christ's holy name. Amen.
biblically taught, biblically informed. 